Greetings, Rays community. Brent coming in live from Rhode Island, and I am joined by a special guest today, Aaron Moran, a fellow entrepreneur, co-founder of The Solace Group, and one of my newest colleagues. Welcome, Aaron. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be here, Brent. And I mean, here on the show and also here at Evertrue. Yes. Well, if you're listening to this, then you might have caught wind that Evertrue recently acquired the Solace Group. Some of you may be very excited to hear that. Uh, hear that. Some of you may be thinking, what is the Solace Group? So we'll uh, touch <laughs> both those points. Um, but I can tell you that I am extremely excited. Um, and I will let Aaron give a bit more of the elevator pitch on the Solace Group. Uh, and then I look forward to uh, sharing more of her journey into the advancement world, her entrepreneurial journey, and ultimately what led us uh, to come together in a way that we know is going to deliver a ton of value uh, to an advancement sector that has been starved of uh, truly modern analytics that drive action in pursuit of uh, relationship building. And so with that, Erin, welcome. Why don't Thank you start you. by just sharing uh, what is the Solus Group? Uh, the Solus Group is a company that was founded by um, my partners and me, uh, about three and a half years ago. And prior to that, we had all worked together at DePaul University. And during the many, many years that we worked together, um, we learned a few things. One was that we had a lot of respect for each other and really liked working together. And two was that we discovered the power of visual analytics and specifically um, the Tableau uh, platform for analytics. We developed our data visualizations um, during the DePaul's last campaign and quickly realized that they had become responsible for not only um, keeping our reports on demand and beautiful, but also helping to inform the way we worked, helping us raise more money, um, find more prospects, et cetera. So, we uh, believe that we wanted to bring that to other nonprofits and make it possible for uh, places that don't have a big analytics team um, to maybe still have that kind of sophisticated reporting. Love it. Um, tell me a little bit about those uh, partners, your co-founders of the Solus Group. My partners are fantastic. Um, they include Ron Eisenstein, who is an expert Tableau developer. Um, Ron was responsible for, responsible for overseeing uh, the advancement services unit at DePaul in his last role. He grew up there as did I, but um, he led that unit in, um, in that role. He basically um, was responsible for prospect development, gift processing and um, database management. And he himself sort of led the charge on uh, analytics development. And my other partner, Tim, is an extraordinary data scientist. He's incredibly talented. Ron and I always laugh about how we're just in awe of Tim. He has um, developed some very sophisticated tools for uh, predictive modeling. Um, he has designed data sources for Tableau that have made it a lot easier for our clients to be able to uh, use the tool. Etc. So he's um, he's a really important piece of the puzzle too. I love it. Well, you know, for all of you listening, this is not going to be the Evertrue Solus sales pitch, but we have <laughs> seen a tremendous opportunity to introduce uh, visual analytics to really just make sense of data. There's way too much manual work that is either being done 
by advancement services folks, you know, Excel files trying to be manipulated, or more often is the case, it's not being done. Uh, or you're having to hire consultants for six figures plus to pull something together that um, as soon as it's complete is static and then ultimately needs to be refreshed time and again. And so we really saw an opportunity to um, activate the data set that Evertrue has built. We're now working with almost 2,000 institutions, over 1,000 uh, educational fundraising organizations. Uh, and while we feel like we've made some great strides in enriching underlying engagement uh, or enriching underlying donor data, um, exposing that in modern mobile and web workflows, making search and filtering a breeze, uh, we have not quite uh, cracked the code on visual analytics in the way that we need to. And after seeing the work of Solus Group, it just became clear that not only was there skills alignment, but equally, if not more important, really deep mission alignment. And we just love um, working with people like Aaron, Ron, and Tim, who truly understand the problems, who have lived the problems, um, but also have a very strong uh, capacity to not only contemplate solutions, but actually make them come to life. And um, and so, you know, in the coming months, you're going to see visual analytics. You're going to see a next level of benchmarking this sector has never seen before. Um, and you're going to really see, I think, an opportunity for us to build community through data, um, which is something that has been um, just a, a long time uh, dream of mine, frankly. So thank you, Aaron, for believing in me and for, uh, and for investing uh, your future um, as part of this Evertrue platform. Oh, you're welcome. I, it's my honor. I'm so excited. Um, we kind of feel like Evertrue has been um, sort of a, a, had a similar philosophy in terms of sort of democratizing data for advancement shops. And um, the, the degree to which Evertrue has always attended to data quality and aggregation and making sure that people really kind of leverage the entire universe of information um, and bring that all to bear in fundraising, that is very um, aligned with what we do from a reporting and analytics standpoint. So we kind of take it to the next step of making it possible for anybody, even if they're not a fan of using computers, they're not very familiar with um, how to you know, use any sort of fancy software, they can still use their phone or their laptop and get into these reports and really understand the data. No doubt. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to uh, the individual who actually connected us. And I think part of the reason I'm, I'm equally excited about um, uh, going down this path with you all is just the shared um, customer enthusiasm, shared enthusiasm among mutual friends in the sector. Uh, and I was actually looking yesterday at my text message exchange from April of 2021, when our friend Howard Hebner at UC Berkeley uh, actually uh, first suggested that I reach out to you. Uh, and one of the things I periodically do when I'm, when I'm talking to people I respect in the sector like Howard is just say, hey, who else is out there? Are there other good companies that are emerging? Are there companies that we should be considering to, you know, partnerships with, which candidly is how we, uh, you know, in part uh, decided to go down this path with Thank You. And Howard was, was singing your praises. So <laughs> maybe tell me a little bit about um, how you all cross paths and then why, um, you feel like you've had such a positive partnership with UC Berkeley and how we might um, expand upon that to serve the rest of the sector. Sure. Yeah. Well, Howard, we've known Howard for a long time. Um, we had the pleasure of working with him for many years while we were all at DePaul. Um, and 
poor Howard has, I've been um, contacting him over and over again um, over the last three years that we've been with Solus to ask him for favors. And he's been really gracious about helping. Um, but it was funny because he was, we were not aware that he was moving to Berkeley and um, we got contacted by Berkeley uh, through another means. And Ron and I were actually on campus and we saw him walk into the lobby. So it was really cool. Um, and he's just, he's one of those people who we've, we've been lucky in having a lot of people we work with who are like this, but he kind of stretches your brain because he asks questions and asks if he can see things in ways that other people don't normally ask for. And so through working with him, you also learn more about, um, you know, different ways that people can analyze, particularly annual giving and engagement data. And um, so it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure working with him. Um, and we continue to um, rely on him for, for help. So I, I mean, we owe him so much and especially now that he's um, put us together. Um, but yeah, so Berkeley is what a great. The, I mean, what were the problems I guess you were trying to solve or, you know, I mean, they, they you know, they have a, an amazing team, a very strong yeah. technical team, you know, significant investment into technology over the last five years in particular, yet there were still gaps. And I'm, I'm just curious yep. to, to hear from you sort of in spite of all of that investment, all of the vendors that serve this space, what was the niche that you all found? What were some of the problems that you were able to solve together? Yeah, well, uh, that's a great question. And you're absolutely right. We were um, very blown away by the talent that they already have on their team. And um, it kind of speaks to something that is a, a misunderstanding that a lot of people have in our industry where they think, well, I'm in advancement services, so I don't need to hire um, you know, a third party to help me work on this project. I should know how to do it. The folks at Berkeley understand they they know all of this stuff. They've they have all of the skills they need uh, in in their shop, but they don't have the ability to do it at the scale that they wanted to do it. And so instead of um, trying to to do things, you know, and killing themselves trying to get everything done in a very short period of time, they hired us. We had um, a longer sort of ramp with Tableau than they did. So we were able to help um, beef up their Tableau skills. And they, in turn, taught us a tremendous amount about how they look at data. Um, and they, you know, we always laugh that our clients teach us as much as we teach them. And Berkeley is the perfect example of that because it was, it was a, a real education working with them. And since we worked together, you know, we, uh, Carl Otto, who's, um, in charge of IT at uh, at the at Berkeley's advancement office, he says that we're like a extension of their team, which felt really great um, to hear. And we kind of feel that way. It's like we're we're sort of their um, their colleagues more so than um, you know their their consultants or their vendor. And so we now um, have had the opportunity to get rehired a few times and brought in to do additional stuff. Um, and, and since that time, we've been very fortunate to be a part of building some really um, original and fascinating dashboards for them. And so tell me, 
the before and after? Like, what are you most proud of? Or if, if, if somebody were to say, hey, Howard, what's the deal with the Solus Group? What would he or Carl say as being like the, you know, on one hand, it sounds like you're, you're an extension of the team. But on the mm -hmm. other hand, there are some outcomes, outputs that you've been able to produce together um, that really, um, it sounds like, have, have provided um, just a, a leapfrogging of, of where things might have been previously. Tell me more about the, the status quo and then tell me more about the after and, and why you're so proud of that work. Yeah, um, I think one of the things that you have to know about Tableau that people who aren't as familiar don't know about it is that it's, a, it's an incredibly sophisticated piece of software. I always compare it to um, learning to play a piano. So it's not like you learn to play a piano and then you know how to play the piano, right? You, you play it your whole life, you get better and better at it your whole life. Um, with having, I think he's got 11 or 12 years under his belt of Tableau experience, Ron is really a master Tableau developer. So even people who have been working with it a long time and understand it pretty well, um, benefit from his ability to understand the software and, and kind of how um, to get things done more quickly. So the main thing that we did um, in our first project with them and our, what launched all our relationship with them is we helped them address some core business questions that they had that they wanted to be able to answer, um, or, or rather they wanted their fundraisers to be able to answer um, by the time they kicked off their campaign. And the questions were things like, um, what should I be focusing on right now? Um, how much should, should I expect to raise this year? Am I in track to meet my goals? Those kinds of questions. And so we took those questions and sort of laid out a plan to develop some dashboards that were um, very functional. They had a lot of information packed into one spot. And so they were kind of a one-stop shop for their fundraising team. One of the things that was so important to them, and I have to give a shout out to Tam Bong because she's, um, she is my collaborator most often, and she is just brilliant at leading um, the Berkeley analytics team. She has been so conscientious about user adoption, which has always been my bailiwick, but a lot of places, um, you know, they don't necessarily think to ask for support with that. But Tam from the beginning was very aware that it doesn't matter how extraordinary a dashboard you have if people don't use it. It's, it's useless um, to your organization. So she, she and I talked a lot and spent a lot of time developing user guides, uh, training videos, et cetera. And she did this whole roadshow where she took the, um, the information about how to access and use the dashboards and sort of fan that out all over to her colleagues on campus. I mean, they've got a huge, very complex shop. Um, and she wanted to be able to make sure she was listening to them, that she was kind of in, ensuring that their, the needs that they had expressed were um, being addressed with, with the tools and that in turn, um, they knew how to access everything so that they didn't feel like they needed to, um, you know, kind of learn a new skill. I mean, Tableau development is very complex, but Tableau use for an end user is incredibly easy. It's it, if you can, you know, write an email or visit a website, you can use Tableau. Yeah. And so um, by do, taking the time to do that training and thinking through, okay, when you have this question, 
here's how you can answer it. Um, she really did a great job of kind of galvanizing that community. And as much progress as there has been, one of the areas that we're so excited to go address together is the fact that um, one, you know, Berkeley can now see their own data in a new way, right? It's right. been illuminated, if you will. <laughs> uh, but they can only see the data that is in their system, right? So there's opportunities right. to bring in additional data sources as we continue to scour the, the digital web, if you will. Um, but then on top of that, you know, I think some of what we saw are, you know, the amazing dashboards that you've been able to build and support for Berkeley. If somebody else at another advancement shop would want access to those, then you, Ron and Tim, would have to drop in there. Right. And maybe you've got some frameworks in place, but effectively rebuild it in a custom way. Yeah. Campus by campus by campus. And right. then if while you're doing that, Berkeley calls and says, we'd like something else tweaked or something else added, then you go back. And it just became clear that there was an opportunity to go beyond custom development into a platform and then do so in a way that would not only let the folks at Berkeley understand their data, but understand their performance relative to hundreds of other institutions around the country. And right. we don't offer that today, but that is a big part of this vision that when you look at almost any other sector, especially during COVID, when, when on a daily basis on the news, we would hear what was happening to um, airline ticket cancellations. We heard what happened to hotel occupancies. We hear what happened to um, office uh, occupancy because there was all of this shared data across office buildings, across airlines, across hotel systems that could then be activated so that somebody could say last week, occupancy around the country fell by 5%. Meanwhile, in the advancement field, we had no idea what was happening to annual giving, to major gift pipeline, to proposal volume, to visit totals, because all of that is housed in siloed databases. And the only way that we would get a sense of shared community views were through surveys that would come out six months after the fiscal year ends. And mm -hmm. that's really the opportunity we have together is to take the IP that you've been able to develop with Berkeley and with other partners, but make it accessible at a far more cost-effective level to the rest of the sector. And then even for folks at more sophisticated shops like Berkeley, provide insights about their performance and opportunities relative to the rest of the advancement world. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and you're so right. And we're, that's one of the reasons that we're so grateful to have this opportunity because it has, it really does. Everything we do is custom. And even though, um, you know, people will see a dashboard and they'll say, I, we want to get that dashboard. Um, and I, I really wish it were a matter of just sending it to them, <laughs> but right now it's all, it's, we still have to go from the ground up. It's like building a new house. You have to do all of the steps from scratch. And so, um, now, uh, the, the dream of being able to do that at scale, which has always kind of been the plan, but for a, such a tiny company, um, you know, we're all, obviously this is our, this is our income. So we're not able to kind of 
decline client work while we're building that uh, product. And so this has afforded us this amazing opportunity to be able to develop this product and really kind of bring it to everyone. Because we have heard from our clients, you know, they, I, I don't mean this to sound, um, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but they really, a lot of people have told us that it's just changed the way they work fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I would say, because um, you talk a little bit about um, how opaque all of that information is and how um, insufficiently delayed it is in terms of, you know, you're getting it a year and a half late. The other thing I would say about um, the surveys that we have, and God bless the people who put them out because we, we need something, right? We need that information. But what that information essentially is providing is outcomes. It's not providing any information about sort of what the inputs are. And so it really makes it hard to understand what are the business decisions that, that are the success factors. In other words, you know, there's all this debate about, um, for example, how many times people should uh, visit a person before they make a solicitation or how many prospects they should have in their portfolio, et cetera. Um, wouldn't it be great to know what everyone else is doing and what the most successful place, what the trends are with the most successful places? Yeah, there's an answer to that question. And I think so often at conferences, we just debate based on feelings, right? And there is so much data that can inform an answer to that question. For example, you know, I think you've seen this across our DXO programs now, we have uh, over 50 institutions, all of that data every single day of the activities and outcomes we're tracking in a unified and consistent way. So we now know that it (laughs) takes on average 6.6 attempts to secure a visit. And then when you contrast that with how many actual attempts are logged via contact reports in most advancement databases, Rarely would a gift officer try six times within a uh, 30-day period, for example, because people would typically think, well, that would be harassing someone. That's when you <laughs> contact somebody. But there is data that informs the fact that polite persistence is required 6.6 times specifically. And then what happens the 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th contact attempt. Um, and so, you know, that is one example of something that Prior to partnering with Solus Group, we've been able to derive through Evertrue directly, but there are so many other examples oh, of yeah. data points like that across the giving pyramid um, that I know that we're going to be able to activate together. And just so folks are clear, um, we are going to do so continuing to leverage the Tableau system. We uh, will build off of the partnership that Solus Group has with Tableau. We have already begun standing up a white-labeled Tableau solution inside of Evertrue. And so as we uh, productize these dashboards that historically would have been like uh, building a house one by one, campus by campus. We're now going to be able to flip on hundreds of houses for campuses <laughs> around the country um, in a way that uh, will make this kind of technology and insight available to institutions who truly never could have afforded the custom home build that you might have been able to offer before. Yeah. I mean, I, I know this is probably going to sound self-serving, but I really mean it that I just, ever since we started talking about, um, you know, this acquisition opportunity with Evertrue, I, my brain has been so fertile with ideas every, you know, every day, every night, I'm thinking of new ways that the information can be used. And I just think we're going to really change. I really genuinely believe we're going to change how people work. If we don't, Aaron, I'm going to be super disappointed, but I know. <laughs> 
that we've got a real opportunity. And I think with, with your team, with our team, and really staying so close with the Howards of the world, with the Carl Autos of the world, with the other leaders in this space, that I, you know, I know if we listen to them uh, and, and both have them push us, but also push them, we're going to find um, just so many opportunities to really um, move the needle in a way that will drive more philanthropic support, that will create more access to education and opportunities, um, which is why you and I are doing this in the first place. And so on that note, uh, let's just pause kind of soulless ever true. You all will hear more about it. I hope you don't mind us, uh, you know, sharing a bit of our, um, you know, live brainstorming here. But um, I do want to know a little bit more about your journey uh, personally, Aaron, about your uh, educational journey in particular. You might have mm -hmm. heard that for many of my guests, I love going back in time and saying, hey, who are you junior year of high school? And what led you to Grinnell College, which I have to say, not only shares a home state with me of Iowa, but the first four letters of my last name. So we had a lot <laughs> of time. So uh, why Grinnell? Who were you? Where were you? And what led oh, you there? You know, I um, Grinnell was such a, a great move uh, on my part. And I just didn't, I, I, I am so glad that I made that decision. I, um, I'm born and raised here in Chicago, where I am now. I have, I live literally about four or five blocks from where I grew up. I, I'm not a person who changes a lot, but um, both of my parents are from Iowa. I went to Iowa all the time as a kid. Um, and so Can I ask what, where in Iowa they grew up? Yeah. So my dad was from Fort Dodge okay. and my mom was from Emmitsburg. Oh, very nice. Great yep. powerhouse over in Emmitsburg. Yes. Oh, well, yeah, I have, I have lots of fondness for ever Emmitsburg stories. My mom could really crack us up with the small town stories, but um, yeah, so I have, I have a lot of fondness for um, going there because to, to me, it's a, a state that's full of people I love. Um, and actually I have this, um, you know, uh, Raygun, the, uh, the yeah. shop that makes those. So that, that it, for those of you who don't know, that's a store in Iowa that um, sells a lot of funny t-shirts and stuff. And they have this, um, they have this uh, series of t-shirts and mugs and things that say, um, kiss me, I'm Iowish, <laughs> which was really funny um, to me. So I, I, I bought a few glasses there and I always uh, get a kick out of seeing those, but uh, that's kind of what I consider myself as Iowish. And so um, as somebody who grew up in a more populous area, um, to me, the idea of being able to go somewhere where you could literally see stars at night and you know, you'd go on a jog and you'd see sheep and things like that. It was just, um, that was as exciting to me as it probably is in reverse for people who, you know, live in a city for the first time. Um, what going to a small school enabled me to do was to really, um, I studied theater. Um, I was intent on being an actor my whole life. I did a lot of theater growing up. Um, and I did lots of theater there because when you are at a, a program like that, you can basically get cast over and over again. So um, that tends to be really good for your, uh, your resume as an what actor. Was your favorite, favorite role? Oh gosh. At Grinnell? Yeah. Mm. And do you know any of the lines? Go. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that my favorite performing um, experience at Grinnell was not a role in a play. It was um, that I, I worked with, um, 
a group of, uh, we did long form improvisational comedy and it was um, really, really fun. Um, so that was probably my favorite thing to do as a performer, but. Um, Is that sort of like Second City-esque or no? Yeah, it's it's more, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Improv Olympic. In Chicago, there's there's like different schools of improv and, um, but, but um, it, there's this, school called Improv Olympic, they started something called the Herald, which is this long form um, uh, improv uh, sort of method or um, template. And um, we we developed something that was based off of that. It was actually, it was called the Big Nasty. And we called it that because it was basically a three act play. And um, the first and second acts would not be related to each other. And then the third act, you kind of combined the characters and the plot lines of those two acts. So it was really fun. Um, so I think that was probably my favorite thing, but, um, but I did love um, a lot of the stuff I did. I was in assassins. I played Sarah Jane Moore. I was in, um, I was, I was major Barbara in major Barbara. Um, you know, I, I got a lot of opportunities to work on some of um, some of the best um, literature in theater. And that was one of the things that I think retrospectively I started to miss when I left academic theater, because I realized that, especially when you're just starting out as an actor, you know, you're really not always given the opportunity to work on great scripts. <laughs> and so you end up doing months and months of this role in a script that might not be, you know, Chekhov or Shakespeare or something. And, and then you're kind of um, that can be kind of hard. <laughs> so so, and, and so theater really defined the experience. Yeah, yeah. And and Grinnell's program was very focused on dramaturgy, which is, um, you know, sort of the literary aspect of, of theater. So um, I've always been, um, you know, kind of an English uh, major type person as well. I've always loved literature. So long story short, I, I started acting professionally and I realized that it was the lifestyle wasn't great from the standpoint that I was not doing the kind of theater I wanted to be doing. And, and also, Aaron? oh gosh, where wasn't it? I, I did things I, so, <laughs> so uh, grueling. Some of it was um, like Shakespeare in the park. Some of it was fun. But um, the thing that I remember that was just such a beast was doing a touring show of Aesop's fables. And we went all over, we had to drive the tour bus ourselves. I mean, it was just, it was horrible. <laughs> It's horrible. Um, and we did three shows a day. So it was just, you know, nonstop. I don't know. I just got tired and I felt like the only people I was able to see were fellow um, actors. I wasn't able to spend time with other people, which was always something I loved. I love having friends with different backgrounds and interests. So I went to a career counselor and he said, um, you know, after testing me for a few days, we kind of came up with a plan that I was going to be an English teacher in high school, which would, um, you know, enable me to um, do something that I enjoyed and then potentially run a theater program at a high school. I'm so that was the plan. And say nothing you've told me so far would cause me to believe that you're on a path to launch the leading advancement analytics. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes. Absolutely true, especially if you saw my computer skills. <laughs> so I, um, I was at a cast party. Somebody I ran into told me that she was at DePaul's uh, 
master's, she was getting a master's in English at DePaul. And I said, oh my goodness, that's, I just decided that that's something that I want to do. She said, you should look at the job postings there because if you work there, you can go to school for free. And so I sprayed my resume all over campus and, um, and the VP of advancement hired me. And actually he told me later that, that? um, his name was Jim Looney. Um, I, I think he now works for GGNA. I'm not sure. Um, but he, he basically, um, noticed Grinnell on my resume and was kind of fascinated by somebody who, um, you know, was doing theater in a small space like that. So it actually is funny that that kind of got his attention. Um, anyway, I started doing prospect research. Then I did, um, you know, database, um, data acquisition and, 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 stewardship. Then I did, um, then I led the research and prospect development department. Then I was responsible for advancement services and my role just kept growing and growing. And so, um, I, I always joke that I'm the person who doesn't have any skills, which (laughs) is, is kind of true from a technical standpoint, but really what I, what I bring to the table. And just so everybody knows, Aaron never mentioned having no skills when we were considering this acquisition. So I'm learning a lot in real time with yeah. you. All. So, <laughs> um, but what I bring to the table for my colleagues is that um, experience having been a campaign director, having um, been um, the interim VP, having been responsible for communications, donor relations, alumni engagement, all of those different areas at different points gave me sort of that broad perspective. And so I can um, help them develop dashboards that are designed to really meet the needs of each of those audiences because they're all different. Erin, can I ask though, at what point did did it click, right? It's totally rational to say, I'm gonna find a job because I will be able to continue my education for Mm -hmm. free in doing that. folks have taken advantage of continuing education benefits who've been on this show. Um, But at what point did you start to feel like, wow, like, A, I really enjoy this. B, Mm -hmm. I'm good at it. I like the mission here. And I'm going to go down this path instead of being an English teacher. I think that's a really good question. And honestly, I haven't given a ton of thought to that, but I think if I'm, if I can pinpoint it, it would be, um, it would be when I started working with Mary Finger, who is now the president of Seton Hill University. Um, but at the time she came in to be our VP of advancement and um, she was brought in by who, uh, the, our then new president, Father Dennis Holtschneider, who's amazing. And she believed in me and she really saw potential in me. And, um, really helped me grow a lot. And I started to realize this is going to sound funny, but I started to realize that the skills that you need to stage um, a good theater production and the skills that you need to stage a campaign are not um, dissimilar. So it's a lot of teamwork. It's a lot of moving parts. It's, you know, having to kind of fundraising is about um, helping people see a vision and sort of eliciting a feeling inside of them of generosity and, and excitement about the mission and acting is about give, you know, helping people come to, to those journeys. So it really isn't that far apart. Yeah. I mean, look, fundraising 
is storytelling, right? And I think that's mm-hmm. what we're constantly focused on with, you know, with our work, with our partner community, with our customers is just, what are you raising money for? Tell an authentic story increasingly across digital channels. See who responds, who raises their hand. And then let's run those individuals through a qualifying engine so we know where we should be spending our time, our limited, our most limited resource. Um, all of those steps, I believe, can be almost fully automated and accelerated through technology, mm-hmm. except for storytelling. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I think um, that's one of the things that when I think about the future of advancement services, and particularly the area that I come from, which is sort of the the prospect research, prospect management um, side of the house. I think of the ability to to move from, um, you know, it used to be when I was doing research, it was looking in 20 places to gather information and synthesize it. Um, Now, um, and that used to take a couple days because I mean, literally I'm, old. So some of this stuff was in libraries, (laughs) you know, I was looking at physical books. And so um, now with the emergence of things like Evertrue that enable you to have all of this information immediately, what I see for prospect development is the ability to focus on something that I think is more fundamentally important and useful to development, which is um, sort of helping align um, the the institution's core needs with the um, various potential prospects. Because I always think about this when people talk about a donor's capacity, that you don't, you really can't, donors don't have a single gift capacity. They have many gift capacities depending on what you ask them for, right? So if you ask me for something and, you know, it's not a cause I believe in necessarily, but you know, you're running a marathon or whatever, I'll give some money to that, but I'm not going to give as much as something that really appeals to me and is, is kind of at the heart, at, you know, tugs at my heartstrings. And so I think we need people who are adept at um, working on sort of strategic prospect management and, and prospect discovery to be thinking about what the best alignment is for individuals within a large organization. You've mentioned Mary Finger, you've mentioned Jim Looney, we've talked about Howard and Carl. Um, I know that you have a really deep network of relationships in this sector. And my understanding is you and Ron both are considered co-founders of the Association of Advancement Services Professionals, which was actually one of the first conferences I ever went to. I'll never forget. I think it was uh, Vicki Medlock and, uh, and it was Gail and uh, you know a couple of people at my newcomers breakfast at AASP in Chicago over 10 years ago. Um, you know, tell me about um, some of the peers with whom you've built the strongest relationships. I know that you've worked closely with David Lively, for example, but mm-hmm. you learn from who are some of the peers that um, maybe uh, deserve a shout out here? Um, I, I would be remiss not to mention people like Ben Stork of um, the University of Nebraska Foundation, um, who I just think is an amazing leader. I had the opportunity not only to work with him through Solus, but also to um, interview him for um, the podcast that we did. And he he revealed himself to be such a thoughtful 
um, manager and leader of that space and it's really forward thinking. Um, we, um, we love working with uh, Mohammed Dasser from NYU, um, Michael Carter from the University of Tennessee, who is not a client, but who is um, somebody that we respect and think highly of. You know, there's a lot of people. He is now, but keep going. Sorry? He is now. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's right. So you'll get to work with Michael. Go ahead. Oh, that's wonderful. That is yeah. wonderful. Um, I didn't even know that. Uh, so, yeah. So there's there's a lot of people all around the country. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not the most um, extroverted or kind of um, demonstrative person. So I don't, I'm not as good at networking um, or I wasn't as good at networking when I was back at DePaul as I am now, because now I have to be networking. Um, and so I didn't, I have developed the majority of my network fairly recently. Mm -hmm. uh, well, on that note, I mean, one of the things that you, Ron and Tim did incredibly well as uh, a small entrepreneurial team is build a really strong community. And can you just tell me a little bit about the experience um, building community around innovation at the intersection of advancement and Tableau, maybe yeah. the experience as a small team, you know, partnering with a big company like Tableau, not easy. Um, right. Tell me about some of the, the lessons learned in community building along the way. Well, we've been, our partnership with Tableau has been so transformational. We love the people who work there. Um, and it's been great because we don't, we don't, um, we're not selling Tableau to people. Uh, we're, we are Tableau fans. And that's what we always say to our, our clients. You know, we, we exclusively develop in it because that's what we, what, what we love and what we think is the tool that helps us build the most um, and, valuable dashboards. And if I may, I mean, why? Like, you, you know, Tableau is a leader. There's Microsoft BI. There are other yep. tools. What has made... Tableau stand out for you and Ron in particular? Um, I mean, the, the advances that every time Tableau advances, everybody else starts catching up to them. They're always at the um, tip of the spear. And I think part of that is their heritage. They were not founded, um, you know, by a software company. They were, they were started at, I believe Stanford. Um, but it was at, at some some outstanding California institution of which there are many, but I think it was Stanford. And it was, um, it was uh, developed among um, some uh, faculty who understood the science of data visualization, which is not um, as obvious as one would think. I mean, people think of data visualization, they think of throwing something in a pie chart, but it's a lot more complex than that. And if you learn about how the human brain processes visual information, um, you can really optimize um, the visuals so that you can help people come to the right conclusions as quickly as possible. And so that's, um, that is their heritage and that's what they always have done is, is um, helped their users develop dashboards that aren't just, it's not just taking data that's in a table and putting it in a bar chart. It's um, finding the right uh, visualization for the right um, type of information that you're sharing so that it tells 
the story of the data in a way that is not complicated, nor is it um, uh, misleading. Yeah, well said. And, and on one hand, strong technical capabilities. As I said, we're excited to um, really take this partnership with Tableau to the next level, um, but also a deep commitment to the education sector. And I think yeah. you, you've described being really well supported in trying to build a community uh, of advancement professionals that are trying to um, make the most of, of Tableau as a platform, which means, you know, look, sometimes it's, a, it's gonna be like, our role will be to help teach people how to work with Tableau themselves. I think at the same time, we know that our shared data network is gonna create opportunity for every single in institution, whether they have in-house developers or not. Yep, yeah. And that's the thing I get really excited about is, you know, we can help um, the places like Berkeley and Nebraska and NYU develop um, the kinds of tools that can help them really see where they fit into the um, network of peers. But we can also develop tools that help smaller schools um, develop analytics for the first time and go from having nothing to having something that's extraordinary, um, which is kind of, that, that really gets me excited because I know not every university can afford to hire an entire team of people who live and breathe this stuff the way we do. Absolutely. And even the ones who can't afford it, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should be rebuilding the same thing that everybody else is rebuilding if there's a way to create a common, you know, shared yep. framework. And so that's going to be a big part of it. Um, this has been really fun, Aaron. I'm so excited. I know we're going to make a huge, you know, a huge impact. Um, any, I don't know, closing thoughts or uh, particular shout outs for, for Ron and Tim or anything else that you'd want our, our audience to think about? I always want to shout out to Ron and Tim. They're, um, they're terrific uh, colleagues. They're terrific people, which is why I wanted to go into business with them. Um, and I'm so excited to be working with your wonderful team um, and our experience of um, sort of taking what we do to the next level is something that is, it just feels like a real gift. So shout out to you as well, Brett. Here we go, Aaron. With that note, uh, we are going to take things to the next level. We need your help. Everybody listening, um, keep pushing us but this is gonna be a significant leap forward that uh, we have been wanting to take on a standalone basis for quite some time. But once the opportunity to work with Aaron and her team emerged, it just became a no brainer for us because we know it's what's best for all of you. And so with that, Aaron, welcome to Evertrue. Ron, Tim, welcome to Evertrue. Let's go do some good things together. How about that? Thanks, Brent. All right. Cheers, everybody. Brent signing off with Aaron Moran, my new colleague, <laughs> founder of the Solus Group. Take care. <laughs>